Hello, everybody, and welcome to the D1 Softball Podcast. I'm your host this week, Tara Henry, sponsored by uh, S2 Cognition, the podcast sponsored by S2 Cognition, and today joined by none other than the Brady Vernon. Brady, happy December. Welcome back to the D1 Softball Podcast, and congratulations are in order. Uh, Brady's got a new one. Uh, Welcome Baylor into the world, Baylor Vernon. Middle name Brady. What's the that's the little one's middle name again? Uh, it is Michael. So welcome Baylor Michael Vernon uh, to the world uh, and Brady. Uh, thank you for joining me this week on the on the podcast. It is December first, and that means the transfer window is officially back open for softball. We're going to get into it in a little bit, just to give everybody an idea and recap. Uh, the transfer portal. It was actually started back in 2018. So it's fairly new, the transfer portal. And the NCAA passed this year to shorten uh, the transfer portal windows from 60 days to 45 days. So there's 30 days uh, after the postseason in softball, which next year will run from May 19th uh, to June 17th. And then again, we'll have the December 1st through December 15th transfer window. And it starts today. And we've already got some kids that have entered the transfer portal. Brady, thoughts on this December window and and uh, the transfers that we maybe expect to see uh, heading into the transfer portal? Um, well, this winter window is a little bit different. It's a lot of these kids like... You know, those fall seasons wrap up and I think it has those honest conversations where the role you might have had probably just isn't there and see what's best for out there. Um, I think the biggest name we've seen so far uh, is Lefty Pollard from Florida. Um, she was a highly touted freshman last year, but didn't really see a bunch of time and Florida made some big additions into their lineup um, through the transfer portal earlier. And so I think it's just kind of seeing people like that because obviously season is three months away crazy enough that we're already there but so i i'm sure we'll see more names kind of pop up but it's just early on being the first day so yeah big news uh out of florida and that transfer portal but i want to review before we even head into season i want to review the transfer uh classes that we went through this summer i want to just give everybody a refresh before we head into season that's why we've got brady on the podcast this week and really kind of just get everybody ready to go for season. And we'll start with our transfer classes. We did top 10, 15, uh, top 15 classes, uh, transfer classes. And we're going to go 11 through 15. Uh, we're going to go through that as well. And I've got a great little graphic that our producer, uh, Kelly, designed for us. We're going to take a look at uh, 15 through 11 with Houston at the number 15 uh, transfer class in the country. Uh, for 2024. Brady, thoughts on this list, 11 through 15. We've gone through some fall reports. I know you talked to Trisha Ford at Texas A&M as well, uh, and Graham Hayes with the excellent report on Oklahoma State, but initial thoughts on what we've seen this fall uh, through the these these transfer classes. Um, just kind of jumping into the Texas A&M one, the biggest name is obviously Jasmine Hill, and that's a reunion um, with Trisha Ford and Jeff Harger. 
Um, she was excellent at ASU in that year that they won the Pac-12. Um, and so she had a down year last year at ASU. And part of that, I think, is just the fit. And it just seems that her personality's back in College Station and just back with Jeff Harger, who she's had tremendous success with. Um, and that was a big one. And then adding Kennedy Powell as well. Um, it sounds like she's actually going to play in the infield after playing mostly outfield last year at UCLA, where she was a Pac-12 all-freshman team. Um, I'm really excited to see the FAU group. Um, that team has a lot of great pitching, but they just struggled on offense. So they added a bunch of graduate transfers into that group, like Cameron Jackson from Duke. And so I think that will be a really great addition to them and getting the offense going and matching the pitching staff that they have. And I was actually able to visit UCF uh, just a couple weeks ago. So I do think that uh, UCF is also an interesting one to take a look at at number 14 in the transfer classes. And I really like, even though we're only adding a 0 0.1 uh, weighted wins above average, again, uh, the, that's the amount of wins that the transfers are worth to a team. Um, I'd, I'm not quite sure we can always quantify uh, what a player is worth and, and what they're going to bring to a squad. So I'm actually excited to see what the Knights do. Um, not only with Stormy Consulnick, but Sonia Halasian out of Cal because she she's a two way player. She can she can chuck it uh, in the circle and, and she can hit uh, the ball over the fence. So excited to see UCF and what they do there. Uh, and then Houston adding Shelby Smith and Lair Boutte uh, with two point two wins weighted wins above average. So that's top transfer classes eleven for fifteen. And if anybody has any questions here, we'll open up the chat. Uh, for Brady and I uh, to to kind of take a look at again, uh, we've got Cooper Taylor over there uh, on YouTube. Cooper, thanks for for joining us and great note there. Schlatterbeck from Maryland at FAU. And again, these are just uh, headliners. You can head on over to the site to d1softball.com to take a look at the full list that Brady put together uh, over on the site. And if you are on YouTube, please hit like uh, so that we can. Um, make sure that you are on YouTube and getting uh, the alerts as to when we go live. So that's transfer classes uh, 11 through 15. Uh, and gosh, I'm already excited. We're just at 11 through 15. We haven't even gotten uh, to the next set. But I really want to get us moving here because we've got a special guest uh, that's going to join us today on the show. So let's get 6 through 10. And we talked about the Florida Gators. Brady, uh, thoughts on this 6 through 10 list? Um, adding kind of all-American talent and Corby Otis last year after a great year at Louisville. And then you have Jocelyn Eckerson who stood out at Oklahoma. And the thing for the Gators is that they're going to have to rely on freshman pitching this year. And so that offense is probably going to have to carry the load with Skylar Wallace to begin the year. Um, uh, another, and this is kind of my home base and just talking to Megan Bartlett, like, this ASU lineup is totally retooled. You have the Mountain West Player of the Year and Kelsey Hall joining from Boise State, and then the WAC freshman year, Tanya Wendell. Um, but Bartlett was actually almost almost more excited about Aiden Allen, who will be taking basically another freshman year after coming in from Houston. And so that was kind of a nugget that we have in our fall reports. And so it's very interesting seeing these classes now and then learning how they're kind of fitting in. Um, and then I really like the Georgia one. I mean, you get the ACC freshman of the year and Sarah Gordon who will be behind the plate with them. And then they add one of my favorite pitchers that I kind of watch is Lily Bax from North Carolina. Um, that's a lefty that they haven't had before. 
Um, and so just another piece of that pitching staff. But overall, this group, six through 10, it's a lot of offense and it's a lot more disparity. And I, I really like these teams adding what they did. And so this is kind of my favorite group to talk about. Yeah, and Brady, adding to the Georgia Bulldogs, again, I was able to see one of their fall games uh, uh, this year. And I think Tony Baldwin, I think he's most excited, like you said, but Sarah Gordon behind the plate, she was so athletic. Um, and then I was able to watch Lily Bax again, a left-hander. I don't remember the last time the Bulldogs had a lefty in the circle. So, uh, again, out of this list, I am, I agree with you. I think that the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, are gonna, are gonna gain from the transfer portal, but it is Arizona state adding five wins with their transfers. So out of, out of this list, Arizona state, the sun devils, I know that you said it's your hometown. Uh, they're adding the most wins, uh, with those transfers, uh, and excited to see in the last year of the pack how that plays out. I mean, I don't mean to have a somber note. Uh, we're in the holiday season and, and holiday cheer, but let's go with that, Brady. I know you cover the Pac-12. Uh, I'm a huge uh, supporter of the Pack. Obviously, play, play, played in the Pack and getting emotional even trying to talk about it. This is the last year for the Pac-12, and. Um, I think it's going to be maybe our best one yet. Uh, what are your your thoughts uh, about the Pac-12 and its last season? Um, well, definitely different. Uh, I don't think there's a definite standout. I mean, UCLA has kind of be, been at the top the last couple of years, and then with ASU kind of winning in the middle and then transitioning into a whole different roster. But I, I think that Oregon and Stanford have a good shot at being toward the top. I mean, Oregon brings back a lot of their core, and then you have possibly the best pitcher in the nation in Stanford, and Isaac Kennedy being back and adding um, Taryn Kern, who we don't really have on this because Stanford doesn't typically add transfers like they do. So just an amazing job I heard to be there academically and go back home as well. And so I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be really wide open. I mean, UCLA is going to have to rely on a lot of freshmen, a lot of new faces in the circle. Um, but you still have Maya Brady and a pretty good offense. And so I think it's going to be very wide open. Like it hasn't really been lately. Again, and if you're uh, over on YouTube, we can see your questions. So if you have any questions for myself or Brady, I'll head on over to YouTube and put them in the chat and we'll try and get them uh, up here to be answered. But yes, I, I agree with you, Brady. I, I'm, I got a little bit emotional when I saw Arizona's post about 50 years. Uh, and this is going to be the last year of the Wildcats in uh, the pack. Uh, I think the rivalry between the Bruins uh, and the Wildcats is going to be a fun one to, to keep an eye on this year, but uh, just can't believe it. Um, but I think it's going to be a fun storyline for us to to take a, a look at and, and cover all season long. So that's transfer classes. Let's get to one through five before we we welcome our special guest uh, on the show. We're going to talk about uh, Clearwater. So again, if you've got questions about Clearwater, please put them in the chat, either on Facebook or over on YouTube, and we'll get those answered. So here we go. Here are the top five transfer classes. Uh, in the country, we've got Oklahoma in the number one spot, N not a shocker there. Arkansas in the two spot, Nebraska in the three spot with Jordy Ball headlining there for the Huskers. Number four, South Carolina, obviously with a lot of water uh, heading to the Gamecocks. And Alabama at the number five spot 
uh, adding 7.2 weighted wins above average, which includes Kayla Beaver and Aaliyah Johnson. Brady, thoughts on the top uh, five transfer classes? Uh, the theme here is pitching. Um, it's a lot of a lot of wins, and I know Arkansas. There isn't a pitcher's name on there, but I think someone that we really need to keep an eye on is Reese Beerlin. Um, she comes over from Mississippi State. She has SC experience. I think she was either close or set the Mississippi State strikeout record. And I think you know when Shanice Dells came into Fayetteville, like we didn't really have a huge eye on her, and then she became a star. And so I just really think that that can be her and be under Courtney Diefel. And I'm really excited to see how that turns out. But yeah, we have Oklahoma at the top. I mean, when you add two graduate transfers and Kelly Maxwell and Carly Keeney, who have been aces to an already great team, it's really hard to argue with that. And then that's not even showing Peyton Monticelli, who has really, really good stuff coming in from Wisconsin. And so, and then Nebraska has Jordy Ball. I mean, arguably the best player in the country. She's probably going to hit more there. Um, and then South Carolina, adding Elena Vodder, I mean, that's kind of, they want to take the next step and they're developing it back to being a top 16 team, top eight team. And so that's going to be huge for them. But overall, it's just pitching. You kind of see with the, you're going to add wins because they always have the ball in their hand. And so this group has the elite arms. These teams really went out and got them. And so that's kind of the whole theme of this. And for Alabama, it's replacing Montana Fouts and getting Caleb Beavers from Central Arkansas. That's going to be a huge thing to get all their innings. And Brady, when you talk about Jordy Ball obviously heading to Nebraska, we did see this fall, I believe we saw Jordy hitting in various spots in the lineup. Uh, she play, playing various positions, uh, stealing bases, running the bases. Uh, she was all over the place. I know how I feel about this, but I want to know, do you think that this is a sustainable thing for Jordy Ball to play an entire season, uh, not only pitching in the circle, but as a position player, running, hitting, all that? Do you think that this is a sustainable model uh, for Nebraska? I mean, I think so. I mean, there's like a history of it there. I mean, Rhonda Ravel is really into that. And she's kind of almost fitting into last year's role of what Courtney Wallace did and like leading the team in innings and playing in the infield. And so Jordy was talking about playing in the outfield or first base and maybe on the days where she's more tired playing the first base where she doesn't have to move so much. But I mean, it's Jordy Ball. She's a competitor that we've probably never seen like that. I mean, she's going to do what she wants to do and she hasn't showed that she'll fail. And if she does, she just answers back. And so I think that's a really, really good team. And I could imagine they're going to probably be the Big Ten favorite setting into this season. So speaking of that, we've got a quick question before we get to uh, our guest, Scott Glazer from ESPN Events. He's going to join us here in just a minute. But question from Matt Norman over on YouTube. Matt wants to know how much of an impact will Ball make in the Big Ten overall? Uh, I think, Matt, we've already seen how much of an impact Jordy Ball has made. Uh, with selling out ticket sales and the amount of uh, support that Nebraska has received just merely by Jordy Ball transferring uh, to Nebraska. And I think we're going to see that throughout the Big Ten, uh, throughout the entire season, uh, the impact of Jordy Ball. And it's it's actually quite refreshing to see. I think we're, we're not used to, uh, you know, the, a star that's won – back-to-back -back, uh, national championships heading uh, back to hometown to Nebraska. But, Brady, what are your thoughts on how much uh, ball will impact uh, the Big Ten? 
Well, I've seen, I think we've seen it already. And kind of like to my last point, I mean, this is great timing for Nebraska. I mean, Minnesota loses Autumn Pease. Uh, Northwestern graduates a huge class led by Daniel Williams. And so I, I think it's wide open for the taking. And this is a team that's in really good in regionals, has a good offense. Like the Andrews sisters are really good. Um, Sarah Harness can hold a bunch of innings behind ball. And so I think that's a big thing. And even going back to our last point, I mean, we're – Next season, not this upcoming year, but the next one, like we're going to have Nebraska and UCLA, like Oregon, Washington, like Big Ten softball is about to get really, really good in a hurry. Uh, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's, uh, again, a precursor, like you said, uh, to what we're going to see here uh, in the next couple of years. So that's the top 15 transfer classes heading into season. We're getting you primed and ready to go. And now we're going to welcome our guest of the day, uh, Scott Glazer from ESPN Events. Let me see if I can get him on here. I know we've got some questions uh, for Scott. Scott, hey, and welcome uh, to the D1 Softball Podcast. Uh, happy December. Uh, great to see you. You as well. I appreciate you taking some time to have me on and talk a little softball. You know, for us, we got first pitch in 76 days. So I know, I know the ladies around the country are getting ready, but we're getting ready to host them as well. So we're excited. Uh, wow, I that what how when is it 60? How many 70, days? 76 days till February in Clearwater. So, what? <laughs> who's, who's counting? I'm like, oh gosh, I'm starting to sweat here, Scott. So, I want everybody to, uh, if you want to have questions, you have any questions about Clearwater, we've got a few already on the chat to head on over to YouTube and Facebook and let us know. But, Scott, I really wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit about the changes that we're going to see this year at the Clearwater Invitational. Uh, we've got some a new fan experience uh, from from being at the event. We know it, it's it's hitting almost capacity, and I think there's a cool a couple cool things that y'all have done to make sure that the fan experience um, is much better heading into 2024. So can you give us an overview of what exactly we're going to see in Clearwater this year? Yeah, sure. You know, we, um, you know, our first priority, obviously, is a student athlete experience. And then, you know, we want to extend that into fan experience. And, you know, softball fans around the country in a positive way. They're, they're, they're super intense. They're super involved. They love their, their, their softball. And so when it comes to ticket sales, you know, we went, on, we went on sale this week on the 30th. I think we sold out just about all tickets you know, in a half day or so. There are some still that are left, but we're, we're really close to capacity. And so those are the things that we're working on. You know, when you're talking about hosting 16 teams over four days, it's 40 games that are going to be televised on the family of ESPN networks. And it's really just providing that exposure across the country for, for such a great sport and these, these young ladies. So for us, we're just trying to balance the operational aspects of it. We're trying to balance the demands the teams have from a travel schedule, um, missed class schedule. You know, then you start to take into to some of the scheduling limitations we have based on time of day, TV network times. And so the, you know, the days and days and days and hours of us putting in planning to try to put together the best schedule we can with a lot of different factors in the background, um, you know, year in and year out tends to put out a pretty good schedule. So. From an event perspective, you know, we're, we, we, we listened to our fans last year. You know, a lot of it stemmed from a family perspective is the tickets do, do they, they go pretty quick. Um, and, and quite frankly, some of these families were showing up and, and they weren't able to find a seat to watch their own daughters play. And so we made an adjustment last year and we continued it this year. We're allowing the teams to purchase some reserve uh, seating behind home plate between the dugouts. Um, any of those allotments that weren't tanked up by the teams, we have extended that on to the public. And so those passionate fans that really want to travel and, and see their teams play, there are some limited seating. 
But the reality of it is we use four fields at two different complexes. And so it's more of a festival style than it is a guaranteed seat per se. So when you're buying these daily passes, it's giving you access to complexes, not a guaranteed seat for a specific game. And so I know there's some frustration with some folks that are out there. I can, I can promise you we're doing everything we can to provide the best event that we can. Um, but, but what we've created is the opportunity for you to see 40 games over the four days. And, and if you get to a game and maybe there's not a seat for you, the concept is for you to be able to move on and see another game that may not be the preferred team of choice that day, but it's certainly a quality, um, you know, matchup that that's at any of the one of the four fields that we're playing on. So a lot, a lot of good things that we're working on out there. And I know that the field uh, seats behind eight and nine tend to be really coveted. And I remember people sitting there from 8 a.m. in the morning till, you know, 10 o'clock at night and not moving. Uh, there's changes this year. So where those uh, seats behind the plate will be cleared out in between games. I believe we did it last year as well. We but did. Last, and that's what I was speaking to. And I say families. It, you know, it could really be any of the, you know, the team's official party or who. What we do is we let each team – uh, this year, purchase in advance 90 seats per team. There's approximately 200, you know, seats, but spaces. They are bleachers. They're not assigned seats. Um, and that's allowing those teams to come in, watch their team's game. So if it's an LSU or a UCLA, whoever it is, if they play one game, they get access to reserve seats for one game that day. If they have a doubleheader, they get access to both. But when their game is done, they leave those areas so the next set of fans or families are able to come in behind home plate. So at least there's there's some of those passionate fans or families who are traveling from across the country that they know they can get in and see their, you know, see their child play. And then for the rest of the fans who who weren't fortunate enough to maybe get some of those reserve seats, then we have the, the general admission seats um, down the lines of all four fields. And then the outfield is also has portable seating out at fields one through four. And you talked a little bit about the fan experience, uh, the complex, the village. I know I've had uh, tacos pretty much every year. I've taken the trolley from eight and nine down to one and four. Uh, what can fans look forward to this this year? Is there anything new happening? Is there still all you can eat sections at one and four? My favorite out in uh, out is left field. I don't mean to let you down, here, but we're we, we're we're not doing the hospitality zone there. But we are looking in and working with our great partners at the city about converting that into more of a, a fan friendly for all fans, not just a a premium space. So. There could be, hopefully be some games for the kids and the families where if you're in between games or maybe you're, you don't, you're not playing back to back, there's somewhere to go. Um, parking is off site. You know, it's not it's not a huge complex of so parking. Uh, the, the city does charge for parking, but then they they provide free uh, shuttle transportation. So, again, if you show up at one complex, maybe it's not as comfortable of a seating environment as you'd like. You have free transportation to go down to the others. Um, but we are continuing our autograph, our autograph session this year. Um, one slight change is we did do a couple autograph sessions at field eight, eight and nine, which is a little bit tighter of an environment. So we're going to eliminate this year. and We're going to have all autographs at one through four where there's a little bit more space to spread out. So fans have access. The girls will have tables and chairs to sit at working on some sponsorship opportunities. Um, and then you have the vendor village. You know, there's the sports specific groups. You know, you got Evo Shield and Wilson, who's been been with us for a number of years. You got the city of uh, uh, Clearwater and their their civic partners uh, visit St. Pete Clearwater, and of course our new title sponsors and children um, um, children's Shriners uh, hospitals. And so um, we'll have a lot of different things that the families and, and and the kids that are there can enjoy. So for those that are, are asking, why did we've got a question uh, asking about 
widely limited tickets on Friday and Saturday. I don't believe tickets were limited on Friday and Saturday, but Scott, you can you can so, speak. To so that. overall, we we did reduce capacity, and and that was in response to a lot of the feedback that we've seen on social media in the last year or so about you know you know they're buying tickets or traveling from across the country and they're simply not able to find a seat. We saw what you saw. There was some you know standing in aisles and, and, and crowding in the outfield. So we felt like it was important enough for the fans that we made the adjustment to just simply reduce the number of people that we put in the complex in an effort to provide those who do get tickets uh, a, a better a better view to the field. So it, it was a reduction on all four days. Um, it was not a reduction on any specific day. The other thing we did do is, you know, our the schedule itself, we play six games on Thursday and Sunday and 13 games on Friday and Saturday. So if any if anyone's looking to purchase a, a one through four game only, those tickets remain flat at the, I think it's at $25. We, we left the all tournament pass on those days at the 35. And then for our premium day, which is really the Friday, Saturday, it is a $5 increase at $40. Um, but I should also point out one thing we we did do is on Sunday, because of our TV time slots, we had two games that evening at 6 and 8 p.m. And the mm -hmm. games scheduled earlier in, in the day allow us to completely empty the field or the uh, complex at 8 and 9. And then we will bring fans <laughs> back who purchased those specific tickets for those specific premium games, uh, which should give, give a better uh, environment for those who are attending. So. Again, we're, 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 we hear you. We see what you're saying. I, I can All I can tell you is we're doing everything we can to try to make adjustments as we can based on the complex that we're at and the scheduling um, uh, times and networks that were provided. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll listen to you. We'll continue to make adjustments as we can. And at the end of the day, it's really about trying to give these student athletes the best playing surface, the exposure for these universities, and just continue to pro, um, promote the sport of softball. So. Sorry about that. Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. I don't uh, know if I should keep talking to anybody listening or not. I was like, well, maybe. maybe oh, good. I was like, me. hey, Scott, why can't you just uh, take the, the rest of the show? But again, if you have any questions about the Clearwater Tournament, the Shriners Children's Clearwater Tournament, uh, again, Shriners Children's uh, Clearwater Tournament, you can head on over to clearwaterinvitational.com. And again, all access pass is $35 on Thursday. Uh, we've got all the prices prices on there. But again, Friday and Saturday, all access is $40 uh, again. And then Sunday is back down to $35. Uh, parking $10 a day. Uh, and again, uh, I would encourage everybody to check out one through four. I know some pretty prime games are on eight and nine, but I've had some pretty good uh I've got some pretty good matchups on one through four, and and I encourage you to take the trolley. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's not a, it's, a, it's a great way to get there, no doubt. And 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 I don't mean to interrupt you, Tara, but I would tell you if you're having a, a difficult time getting tickets just based on the inventory, that that is where the opportunity. We're probably still at about a thousand tickets a day down at one through four, so there, there's still tickets available. We are not sold out. There are some limitations on the eight and nine complex, but one through four, there's plenty of opportunity to go see good softball. You heard it. So if you're going to head on down to Clearwater, there are still tickets available. I know people have been asking me on Twitter and that's why we had Scott. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Cause I know people had loads of questions. Again, we've got Matt on here asking all the questions for everybody. Uh, so if anybody has any questions before I let Scott go, 
uh, you've got to let us know. But are there more tickets available for Friday and Saturday? Yes, we just answered that question, uh, one through four. Is there any chance that any tickets will be available for eight and nine? Is there a resale service that uh, people can look for? Or is eight and nine pretty much sold out uh, for the weekend? It, it's pretty much sold out. I will tell you there are there are some tickets that are held back for some sponsorship packages and some different contractual requirements that in any event that I've ever been involved with, sometimes they don't use their full allotment. And so if they we if they don't use their full contractual allotment, we will turn them back over to the public to make sure we're given every opportunity to attend. Um, I, I can tell you there's probably tickets on the secondary market. That's just the way most events go these days. So if you want to go to the secondary market, I'm sure people have bought some tickets. They're going to try to resell. We do have an official partner with Light, who is if you have purchased tickets and need to resell, you could do that in a safe manner. Um, but we are limited. You know, we can only allow some people, so many people in the complex. And it, it's I, I wish we could put it in, in a huge multi-field complex that could seat thousands and thousands and thousands. It's just that's just not what this event is. And and uh, we just value the partnership we've had for a number of years with the city of Clearwater, the, the Parks and Recs Department. And then um, just know that ESPN events and ESPN as a whole is really proud to be able to support these young ladies in this great sport. So we appreciate it. Yeah, and it's an incredible event. I go to it every year and I love it every year. And uh, I wish that we could get it in a big stadium too, Scott. Maybe that'll happen in the future. You never know. Uh, I think well, there's an appetite for it. But um, yeah. just want to thank you so much for joining us this week on the D1 Softball Podcast. Brady had to go. Um, he's got a little one and had to go take care of the little one. But um, Scott, thank you so much for joining us this week on the D1 Softball Podcast. Uh, thanks so much. And good luck with the rest of the start of the season, everybody. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, Tara Henry here for S2 Cognition D1 Softball. Thank you, everybody. Wow, lots of fun stuff uh, uh, <laughs> this week on the podcast. We'll see you all next week. Uh, if you have any questions, again, you can submit them to us and we'll take care of them. Again, head on over to YouTube, like, subscribe to the page. Uh, and if there's anything else that you'd like us to see, uh, let us know. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Uh, and we'll see you all next week.